Colossians chapter 1 this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn it to Colossians chapter 1. There's Bibles in front of you in most rows. If you do not have a copy of the Word of God, let me encourage you to bring it. If not, there's a Bible there in front of you. Colossians chapter 1, and we're starting in verse 3. We began looking at the, the who, what, when, and where, kind of the introduction to the book of Colossians last week. We got through the first couple of verses, but this morning we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, and Paul's appreciation for the church. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So as you heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, and the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherefore you heard before in the, in, the, in the world of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doeth also in you, since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Also ye, also he, ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for each person who's been here today and made that choice to be in God's house. And we just ask that once again that you would help us to understand what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae, but really ultimately through the Holy Spirit to us today, that you'd help us in these very fundamental areas of life which they learned about, but we must learn and not only learn, but continue in which is faith, hope, and love. Help us, Lord Jesus, to share these things, to understand these things, but not only understand them, Lord, practically, but by the grace of God, help us, Lord, to share these things personally with others, these truths we find in your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. A famous Scottish preacher named Alexander White, was, who was known as Appreciator, he loved to write postcards to people, thanking them for kindness or blessings they had brought in his life. Those message, messages often brought a touch of encouragement to a heart, just when it was needed the most. Appreciation is a great medicine for the soul. I can't say how much I appreciate enough all those of you who came out yesterday and helped out with the church and whether it be inside or outside, you took the time to do that. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you show up, many of you, faithfully, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any activities, you're faithful to that. And I appreciate that. God has called me to be your encourager. God's called me to be your shepherd. But you encourage me when you're faithful to the Lord. You encourage your encourager. And I appreciate that. Of course, Paul the Apostle was a great encourager. This epistle is a good example of the, the grace of Thanksgiving. Whenever it gets a little cooler, like it did this morning, the coolest we've had in a long time, way long time, that you know what, I start thinking about that holiday. Not Halloween, no. And if you asked me when I was 10 or 11, I'd have said Halloween. But when I think about cooler weather, I think about, first of all, Thanksgiving. We're in a season. See, Thanksgiving is not just a day. Really, Thanksgiving should be a lifestyle. It's not just Thanksgiving Day where we have the turkey and the, I don't want to go through the list. It's just too much. And y'all are getting hungry as it is already. 
But see, it's not just a day, it's a lifestyle. We shouldn't be focusing on Thanksgiving, though we should be thankful for so many things. It should be a lifestyle. It should be thanks living. Thanks living. Is that a practice of your life? Are you known for a praiser? You praise the Lord. You know when somebody talks to me, they can go to be encouraged. Or do they know when they come to you, you're going to be a downer, Debbie Downer. Always sad, bad, and things are going to get a whole lot worse. Are you a praiser? Praising God? Encouraging others? Or are you a pouter? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Whoa! Which one are you? If I was to ask your wife, husband, what would, you be say, what would she say about you? Man, if I was to ask your husband, what would they say about you? Parents, if I was to ask your kids, what would they say about you? Parents, if I was to ask about the kids, what would you say about your kids? What type of person are you? Are you a thankful person or not? How did Paul encourage this church at Colossae to be thankful? And what are the stages of spiritual growth in the church that Paul was grateful for. For first of all, he gave praise for their testimony. He gave praise for their testimony. Look there in verse 3. It says, We gave thanks to God and our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since, verse 4, we heard of your faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints. He gave praise for their testimony. He praised them for their faith in God, their faith in God. You see, dear friends, we're not saved by just faith in faith. No one gets saved by just faith in faith. The famous George Whitfield, the evangelist, was witnessing to a man, and he said to this man, what do you believe in? Whitfield asked. Whitfield asked the man, what do you believe? And he said, I believe what my church believes. And what does your church believe? Asked the evangelist. Well, what I believe, replied the man. Undaunted, Whitfield tried again and asked, so what do you both believe? And the man said, why, we both believe the same thing. <laughs> he didn't know what he believed, but he believed what the church believed, and he didn't know what the church believed, really. He just believed what they believed. Dear friend, I hope your understanding of God is past just saying, I believe what the church believes. Obviously, we all start somewhere. We all start as infants in Christ but I hope you're striving, you're seeking after, wanting to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? By feet, by, by a, what's an infant do? The infant begins to feed. What does the child of God begin to do? Begins to feed. And this is the best source of food in the entire universe. It is the word of God. I hope you feast upon it. I hope you feed upon it. And sin keeps us from the book. But the, but the book keeps us from sin. I hope you daily stay in fellowship by reading the Word of God. We have a, a Bible reading book uh, board up there. and Many of you have, have gone through the Bible already and read the whole thing, and you're starting on it this, the second time or third time. Let me encourage you to be in the Word of God. So it's not just faith in faith. Dear friend, it's, not just, it's just not faith in just a set of beliefs either. It's faith, it's faith on the truth we find in the Word of God. See, it's not just faith and faith and faith and just a set of beliefs. The object of your faith matters. The object of your faith. It says we give thanks to God and for the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't just 
praying and asking for faith and just asking for a set of beliefs to believe in. The object of the faith matters. I read an illustration by the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, talking about the object, the importance of the faith's object and telling about two men who were in a boat. One man was going in a boat, and he was, they were floating down the stream and getting ready to go over a great waterfall, and one threw his rope to another person. And when that other person grabbed a hold of that rope, and that man was able to, 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 to get to the other side by holding on to the rope and going through the water and getting to the other side. But the other person threw a rope to another log in the stream. That did him no good because the log was going over the waterfall, and so did he. Dear friend, the object of your faith is as important as your faith. If your faith is in anything but Jesus Christ, you have the wrong faith. If your faith is in this church, you've missed it. If your faith is in being good, you've missed it. If your faith is being baptized, you've missed it. Your faith must be in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Where's your faith this morning? Oh, I hope it's in Jesus Christ. Paul praised them for their faith and for their faithfulness. It says there, and of the love which you have to all the saints. Genuine, genuine believers have a faith, but their faith has action, and that action is love. And we see that throughout the scriptures. John chapter 13, verse 34, new commandment I have given to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that also you love one another. John chapter 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How's your love? You say, I have faith. I believe in God. How do people see it? How do people see your faith in God? By the love that you show towards other people. That is the number one distinction that divide us from the rest of the world, from the Muslims. Amen? <laughs> it is they divide us from the, from the infidels, <laughs> people who do not know God, even though we're called infidels by the Muslims, as we heard this morning in Sunday school class. We're, di we're different from the whole world because we love people. That should be the practice of our life. We see this in 1 John often. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even now. 1 John 2, 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in the darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. What's John saying? You say you love God, but you hate your brother. You know what he's saying? That's a lie. You can't say you, can't say you love God who you can't say and hate your brother who you can't see? How's your relationship with another person? Is there anybody in this world that you hate? Dear friend, you know the only person we should hate is the devil. We should hate the devil, and we should hate sin. But dear friend, you shouldn't hate another person. 1 John 3.10, And this is the children of, of God as men are manifest, the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. 1 John 3.14, We know that we have passed from death un, unto life because we've loved the brethren. He that loveth not the brother abideth in death. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know not that a murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So what's the characteristics of a, a believer that Paul was praising? Someone who had faith. And someone who showed that faith by love. And isn't that what Jesus did? 
He demonstrated his love towards us. He commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We read in the book of Romans, John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew the hour was come to the, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. He gave them everything. He gave them everything. How is our love? Is your love based on how other people love you? Well, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Or do you love them in spite of themselves? Do you love the unlovable? We just love because people love us. Aren't you glad this morning that God loves you unconditionally? He loves you. God is love. I'm so glad he loves me. Now, sometimes because of my disobedience, our, my fellowship is broken with him. And I have to go back humbly and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. And that relationship is restored. But that relationship in Christ Jesus is permanent. Nothing could separate me from the love of God. Not sin, not Satan, not self, not society. Nothing can separate me from that love. Oh, dear friend, we should have that type of love towards the brethren. Being quick to forgive. Quick to encourage. Not, well, if you forgive me, I'll forgive you. If you like me, i like you. Now, if you meet all the qualifications that I should love you, then I'll love you. But if you miss one of them, I don't love you no more. Oh, dear friend, you know what that is? That's selfishness. And that's the society that which we live in. It's selfish and self-focused. But we as Christians should see others in, in their need and be willing to love them. Hope, thirdly, we praise for the testimony and praise for their treasure. The gospel, truth, resists, rests in hope. Look at verse 5. For the hope which is laid upon you for in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Hope is the component of the great triad of Christian tr virtues. Hope, faith, and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 of Thou abide faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Paul is thankful for this, for this believers in Colossians for their faith and love, but also because of their hope. Faith and hope are inseparably linked. We believe and so hope. Paul describes this hope as laid up for you in heaven. The word means to in, be in store or reserved that we find in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, dear friend, I hope when I go home, I'm going to have a good meal. How about you? I hope that. Man, I thought I'd get more amens out of that, but I was like, whoa. Amen, yeah, we're going to go get some barbecue or some Chinese or some Italian and woo, we're hoping on that. Dear friend, I can't promise you you're going to make it out of the parking lot, but if you believe in Jesus Christ, I know you're going to see Jesus Christ again. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a maybe so. It's a no so. The word hope for a Christian is different from the world. The world says, well, I hope I'll make it out of bed in the morning, but we have a blessed hope because the object of our faith has never failed us. He's faithful and true. He's never give up. He's never give in. He's never quit. He finished the race for us. We have a hope in Christ. God established our hope by making us sons. 
First John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold the manner of what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, we are, not the, we, are, we, we are the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All the pains that you suffer right now are going to be gone. All the suffering, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the troubles, all the dentist visits, praise the Lord Jesus, all the doctor's visits, oh, thank you, God. All the prescriptions, all the pain medication, all the pills, all the powders, all the stuff that you put on your body because you can't take the pain anymore, it's going to be gone. It's going to be gone because we will be like him in Jesus now because he has a resurrected body or has a perfect body and our body is going to be perfect. The preacher's going to get hair again. That's going to be a good day. I hope I get to comb it a few times up in heaven. I don't know if there'll be any combs, but I hope so. The Christian has a different perspective. He's willing to forsake the present glory, comfort, and satisfaction of this world for the future glory that is in Christ Jesus. We read it in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worried compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh, yes, we have troubles and trials. We have difficulties and problems. But ultimately realize the greater hope that we have in Christ. We see this in the life of Moses. Passage of scripture that Brother Pete was starting this morning in Sunday school. We read it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, when Moses had come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction of, with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had a respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. What did Moses do? Moses had all the opportunity to say, I'll take in everything the world will give me. Oh, he was in the, one of the greatest countries of the world, Egypt at the time. Adopted into Pharaoh's family. He could have pretty much, as it says in the world, had it all. He could have been living his best life. But instead of living his best life and having it all, he gave it all up for him who was willing to give his son for us. He was praising him who was invisible. He was serving him who he could not see. He gave up the temporal for the eternal. And dear friend, that's the pattern that we should have in our life, be willing to say no to yet to the day for yes and for eternity. Say no to the pleasures right now for the ultimate reward later on. We used to say it in football practice, no pain, no gain. Oh, it was painful in August when we used to, in those days, wear pads and helmet and got hit and did that for a couple hours in the morning, a couple hours in the afternoon. And we just thought it was the best thing in the world to have that old hose, Brother Chuck, with little holes in it. And about 10 of us were lined up sucking it out holes like it's the most important thing in the world. Because it's hot in August in Greenville, South Carolina, let me tell you. We were glad and thankful, but we knew the pain that we were going through 
and learning these plays and hitting one another like we we're crazy people was worth it because game time was coming in September. Game time was coming. And so it is true in our life, dear friends. Yes, we'll go through some pain. There's going to be times where you're rejected for your faith. There's going to be times where you're ridiculed for your faith. There's going to be times you're going to be laughed at for your faith. There's going to be times when you go to give that old gator track to some people and they say, I'm an Alabama fan. Well, give it to them anyways. You know, everybody's not going to be happy to see you when you talk about Jesus when Thanksgiving comes. But dear friend, share your faith because that's what is eternal. The rejection, the difficulty, the problems are just for a little while. Just a little while, as sad as I see what's going on in Israel, I know that's just the birth pangs for what's coming in the future. We're coming to the end. Dear friend, I don't think we're at the end. I think we're at the end of the end. Our redemption draweth nigh. What are you focusing on? Well, that's why I'm so thankful for these missionaries. That's why I'm praying and asking God to give us more missionaries. Think about the words of Jim Elliott, that great missionary who went with four other men to minister to the Aka India, Indians in Ecuador. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. May I repeat those words? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Oh, dear friends, what are we doing for Jesus Christ today in our love, in our faith, and in our hope to the gospel reaches the world. It says in verse 6, which is come unto you as it is in all the world. The gospel is not just for the United States of America. The gospel is not just for Canada. The gospel is not just for Mexico. It's for the ultimate, every, ultimately for every person in the entire world. It's not just for the folks in Colossae or for Ephesus or Laodicea. It's for everyone, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The university of the gospel is repeated and emphasized throughout scriptures. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations when all, then, then they shall, then they shall come to, then shall the end come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, from for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith, God's word, is spread abroad, so we need not speak anything. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made unto us God, our God kings and priests, shall we shall reign on the earth. Oh, dear friend, the gospel... It's good for every person, every tribe, every nation. And by the grace of God, we want to get the gospel out to as many people as possible while there is time. There was a time during the flood when the door, ultimately, the, even though the gospel was preached, the truth was preached for 120 years, one day the door shut. And dear friend, there's a day coming when the door's going to shut. It's going to be too late. It's going to be too late for those who believe not the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, our hope, it produces many things. It produces rest. It produces gospel for the world. And it produces fruit. It says, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard it and knew of the grace of God. See, grace is the very heart of the gospel. God 
It is God's freely giving us the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, which we do not deserve and cannot earn. Oh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not one of us deserve the grace of God. Not one of us deserve heaven by anything we've done, by any amount of money we've, we've given, by any type of sacrifice we've made. It's only by the grace of God that we're here this morning. It's only by the grace of God that we're saved here this morning. It's only by the grace of God that we have all that we have. Thank God for his grace. Paul wrote about it to Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For by the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared just to a few men, no, to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world because we're thankful for the grace of God because we realize how important it is we should live differently. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. When? In this present world. Paul describes the grace as the grace of God in truth. It's the grace of God in truth. Not some other type of truth, not some type of other book, but the grace we find within the word of God. The hymn writer wrote these words, how poignant and important they are. For nothing could have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Aren't you glad today? for the grace of God. Paul was praising this church because of their testimony, because of their treasure, their faith in God, their hope in God, their love in God. But praise for their trusted minister. Look at verse 7. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a minister of Christ. Remember we talked about last week in the introduction of the book of Colossae that Paul was in the prison in Rome and Epaphras come, came, had come to him. First, of course, at the church of Ephesus, as I mentioned, then ultimately to the church of Rome. He talked about this little gathering of people and how we need to, this needs this to, be, to be supported. He was discipled by Paul, I believe. He was encouraged by Paul, I'm sure, by letters. But now he's starting this little fledgling church, and they begin to grow. They begin to, they begin to help one another, encourage one another, and love one another. We see his ministry, first of all. He didn't simply lead them to Christ. He began to disciple them. He began to show the way. He began to help them in their, in their path that they were walking in. The language here is talking about someone who's discipling someone. Someone's helping someone. Oh, dear friend, have you been discipled in the Lord? Have you been shown the path that you should go? All of us as believers should understand the importance of being discipled. I got saved on April the 15th, 1989 at Colonial Hills Baptist Church at 525 Taylor's Road in Taylor, South Carolina. I began to go to church on Sunday morning, and it couldn't get enough. Then I'm going on Sunday night, I couldn't get enough. Then on Wednesday night, I couldn't get enough. Then I go to youth group, I couldn't get enough. I wanted more, I wanted more because I hungered after what God would give us. You know what? If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, Jesus said, you shall be filled. Do you hunger after things that this world cannot give you? Do you hunger after righteousness? Do you hunger after truth? Do you hunger to grow in your relationship with God? Oh, dear friend, if you hunger after that, you will be filled. But you have to seek after it. You have to seek after it. You could sit here all day and say, I'm hungry, preacher. I'm hungry, preacher. I'm hungry, preacher. I said, well, there's about 10 restaurants on this road I know of myself that I've been to. 
but you actually got to get up and go to those restaurants. You could be hungry as can be, but you actually got to get up and go. And if you thirst and hunger after righteousness, dear friend, you got to actually feed and study and learn and grow. And as God gives you light through the word and through truth, you accept that and obey that. And then as he does give you light he'll, and you obey that light, he'll give you more light. Then you'll not only be reading the word and praying and being in church, then you'll be giving and giving the faith promise, and then you'll be witnessing, and then ultimately get to the place where you just, you, you, your spiritual life is to the place where you almost like, I can't do anything else but serve God because you love him so much. These believers were in danger of turning from the truth and following false teachers. That's why Epaphras spent so much time with them because he loved them. He was trying to help them. Oh, dear friend, we should never forget that new Christians must be discipled. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. This is newborn babes need the care and protection till they can care for themselves. So we as older Christians should care for the younger Christians. Interesting enough, this word disciple is found more than 260 times in the gospel and acts. It's, tra it's translated to learn as a disciple is found 25 times in the New Testament. We see Epaphras' ministry to love, to help them, to minister to them, to train them. But the church's message, letter B, it says, who also declared unto you as declared unto you us, declared unto us your love in the spirit. The word of God is a seed. And the means of the word has life in it. When it's planted in the heart, it can produce fruit. I heard of a story near King's Cross Station in London, England. There's a cemetery containing a unique grave, that of an agnostic lady. Her name was Anne Grimston. Before she died, she says to Tass sarcastically to a friend, I shall live again as surely as a tree will grow out of my body. As an unbeliever, Lady Ann Grimston did not believe that there was a life after death. However, a tree did grow from her grave. A tiny seed took root, and as it grew, it cracked the marble and even tore the metal railing out of the ground. There's life and power in the seed. The seed of life for us is the word of God. The power's there. When God's word is planted and cultivated, it produces fruit. Faith, hope, and love are the first fruits in the spiritual harvest. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's why it's important to be here, to hear it. That's why it's important to, to listen when it's preached and proclaimed. Love is the evidence of true salvation, which we, which we mentioned. It's, it's, it's what other people see. Hope, that third element, is what we believe in, the coming of Christ especially. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Paul said, Paul said because of what God's love towards us, we should, help, we should do, help other people, help other folks, show other people our love. But especially we should do good to the household of faith. We, we should help the stranger. You say, preacher, help the stranger? Well, you, you remember there was a, there was a parable that Jesus spoke about called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that? Remember in the book of Luke, Jesus was, he was quizzed by this lawyer, as lawyers often like to ask crazy questions. He was quizzed 
he's asked, this lawyer asked Jesus, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, What is written in the law that thou readest, thou readest thou? He's answering and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, do this, and thou shalt live. But he, talking about the Lord, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus begins to say in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to, to Jericho. And that is a very act, act, actual, truthful statement. And that's why the word of God is, is concise. And it's true because going from Jerusalem, about 2,700 feet, you go down to Jericho, which is minus 935 feet. You're going from a high elevation to a low elevation. He went down to Jerusalem and fell among thieves and stripped him to, of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came him a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, a certain Samaritan looked down at this Jew. Now they were mortal enemies. They disliked each other. They, they, they despised one another. But this Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him... He spat on him. He kicked him in the gut. He said, you no good Jew. No. That's what the flesh would do. But the spirit, he had compassion on him. And went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, took out two pence and gave them to the host and said, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And Jesus asked the question now of the lawyer, which now of these I thinkest thou who is the neighbor unto them that fell among thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, go and do likewise. We're to care for the stranger as the Spirit leads us to do so. But the Bible says, especially the household of saints. To the believers in Jesus Christ, we're to, we're to help the people who are believers in Christ. Many years ago, actually, I was driving a bus, Brother Richard, through Atlanta to go to Camp Bill Rice Ranch in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It was on a Sunday. Broke down in July in hot Atlanta with over 20 teenagers in the bus. Woo, happy, happy, happy. Not so much. Thankfully, we broke down near a McDonald's. I was never so glad to see those golden archers in my entire life. And the fries. But the arches, the arches. We went inside, me and 20 teenagers. I didn't know anybody in Atlanta. Oh, I knew some people in Greenville. Oh, I knew somebody, folks back in Bonita Springs. But I was a long way from Greenville and a long way from Bonita Springs. I knew, one, I knew a, at that moment one Christian brother who attended the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. And I called him. I said, Brother, I'm on my way to camp. Our bus, our bus is broke down on the side of the road. Can you help us? He said, I'm going to call my preacher. He called the preacher. And they came with a bus. They let us borrow their bus to take our kids to camp. And they took our bus and fixed our bus for us. And we used it to get back home. God did that. Oh, dear friend, 
We got to help other people who are in need. I was in Glen, I was in Glen, was it Glen, Glen Burney? Or excuse me, it wasn't Glen Burney, it was New Bern. Yeah, that's it. New Bern, North Carolina, which used to be the state capital of North Carolina, where Pepsi is produced, believe it or not. And has an interesting cemetery where they divided the Southerners from the Yankees. Go sometime and see it. Went to church on a Sunday night. Preacher said, hey, how you doing? Where you from? I said, I'm from, uh, my name is Marty Moon. I'm from blah, 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 Baptist Church. I can't say that name. I'm from that church. He said, you're here on Sunday morning? I said, yeah, I'm here on Sunday. After the service, the preacher got up and said, you know what? I think we should give a little money to the, that young couple. They didn't have to come to church on Sunday night. They're just, they came to church on Sunday night. God bless them. We want to give a, a few dollars to, the, to these folks so they can take their kids to Dairy Queen. I thought, praise God for that. I'm good with it. I thought we'd give me $20. Open the check, $150. About, about, about want to cry. I said, who is that man? His name was Pastor Wingate. He's in heaven right now. He's the man who started a mission, Worldwide New Testament Baptist Missions. Danny Danny Whetstone, John O'Malley, came from that mission board. And I asked John, I said, that happened to me years ago when I was in New Bern, North Carolina. And he said, that's just the type of preacher he was. He saw some folks, and the Holy Spirit led him. He would help them. He would help them. And that mission board is still going on today by the grace of God. And the pastors of Scripture the brother John O'Malley mentioned when he was preaching about faith promise came to my mind in verse John chapter 3 verse 17. But whoso hath this world's goods and he seeth his brother in need and shut up of his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? John is saying you have this world's good. You have some, you have. But you see your brother in need. And you say no to him. You, you say no. <laughs> you say no. I can't help you. Paul, John is saying, how dwelt the love of God in him? What is he saying is, it isn't. It isn't. In the next verse, it goes on to say, dear friend, we don't need to, we don't need to be people just of word, but we need people, people in deed. What's the greatest way we can help other people? You need Jesus. You need Jesus. That's the only hope this world has. How can we help other people, other brothers and sisters in Christ? They need encouragement. They need the gospel. There's missionaries all over the world. Brother Walker needs encouragement. The Southers need encouragement. G.S. Nyer needs encouragement. These three missionaries we've talked about, these brothers in Christ, they need encouragement. What's the greatest thing we can do for them? Let me help you financially so that you can go. I can't go to India today. I'm not going to go to India, every independent Baptist church in the, in the country like Brother Walker goes to. I'm not going to South Africa like the Southerners do. We can give money to help them so they can go and reach people and encourage the brethren there. The question is, will we do it? Will we do it? We have the choice to help other people in need. We all can. The question is, will we? Dear friend, someday when you stand before Jesus Christ and you will, we will all stand before Jesus Christ, we will be glad that we did. We will be glad 
Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for those who shared the good news with us. Not only because of that mother, that father, that friend, that preacher, that Sunday school lady, that bus worker who shared the gospel with us, are we here today. It's only because of the grace of God, because of faith, hope, and love. Lord, help us, Lord, to show that towards other people. Sometimes to the stranger who we are led to help. Sometimes to the brother in need. Sometimes here, sometimes afar. Lord God, help us. Dear friend, do you need Jesus this morning? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, your greatest need is Christ. Your greatest church, your greatest need is not just a church. Your greatest need is not just more lectures. Your greatest need is not just more things. Your greatest need is a person. Do you know Christ as your Savior? The Bible says, If thou confess with thy, heart, thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to a place in your life where you realize that you're a sinner and you couldn't save yourself and you were willing to repent of your sin, go a different direction and place your faith in Christ?